Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff at the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the World Business Academy's president and founder. Benjamin Schwartz, our assistant producer, is here at the controls. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the communities and the environment that their work touches. We are recording this show on July 30th, 2019. Before we get going, I would like to invite our listeners to reach out to us at info at worldbusiness.org if you have any questions or comments about the show today, or if you have anything you would like for us to discuss in the future. We would love to hear from you. As always, you can listen to us on the go using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, just search World Business Academy. I would also like to remind our listeners that we have a new weekly radio show, Solutions News, which takes a positive and solutions-oriented look at real-world issues, and that is available every week as a podcast as well as live on Friday evenings. If you want to listen to that, send us a note, and we will let you know how to do it. Okay, so Ronaldo, what are we going to address today? Well, hello what's everyone. On, what's on your agenda? Oh my to goodness! To talk about our July well, in our July. You podcast. know, before we get into the July thing, let's do uh, like let, let's. I want to put out again to people. I would love to hear from people if you would prefer it, if we would do this show uh, once a week for fifteen minutes, or once a week for half an hour, or once every other week for half an hour, or continue with the one hour format. Why am I saying that? I'm looking at seven pages of single spaced notes. And that's only half of what we got together for the show. We clearly can't cover it all. There's just too much happening. And it's happening, like, events are cascading upon themselves now. So, you know, like everything else that's speeding up in life, I think the things that we want to make observations about are also speeding up. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, if the, if the listeners to the show would get a hold of us at you know, Info at World Business. Info at World Business. And we've heard from some, and I think the general consensus I've heard so far is, if we could do two shows a month, that would be wonderful. Would it? Half an hour each? Half hour each. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for that. So please write in if that if it's something you want. If you want one show for 15 minutes every four, every week, or one show for half an hour every week, or one show every other week for half an hour, or continue with the full hour we have. Those are the choices. Right. And please feel free to give, make any choice. And even if it's not what we are currently hearing, it'd be great to hear from you. Mm -hmm. So thank you. And I think that we can maybe start that kind of an increased schedule in the September time frame. Okay. Something like that. Great. Well, I think that the, the, the most important thing to start with today is Boris Johnson. So Boris Johnson has just been named the new prime minister of the United Kingdom. That's interesting because if Boris Johnson has his way, there won't be a United Kingdom come January 1 of 2020. So he could be the last prime minister of the United Kingdom. Literally. Why am I saying that? Because if Boris Johnson does a hard Brexit, which is what he was elected saying he will do, I don't believe Scotland will remain in the United Kingdom. So Scotland will pull out. You can be sure that Ireland, which is just loosely sitting on the edge, is going to have to decide which way, Northern Ireland is going to have to decide which way to go. Uh, I don't know what Wales will do. But the it's clearly Scotland's going to leave, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I've been doing some history research on Scotland these last few weeks, and <laughs> Those Scots are unruly. Well, that and they're still a little ticked off <laughs> of what happened to Robert K. Bruce. I think so. You know, and if you saw the Mel, the Mel Brooks movie, that one didn't go down well either. The Mel Brooks movie? Or the Mel, um, the, what do you call it? Brooks? Um, I think a Mel Brooks might do a better Mel, version. I know, it was a Mel, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson movie. Braveheart. Braveheart, right. You know, you can see that they're still they're recuperating from that <laughs> evisceration, which is the last scene or one of the last scenes. Anyway, the point of the story is, what just happened in London is so undemocratic because 93,000 people in the United Kingdom made the decision to make Boris Johnson prime minister. 93,000. That's all who voted? That's all that voted for him. The maximum number that could vote was 160,000, which is all the card-carrying members of the Tory party. 
So the general public did not get a chance to vote. And because he is being, he's replacing Theresa May in their form of government, their party gets to pick the prime minister. And so the party regulars do the picking, even though the public is going to have to deal with the wreckage. Now, what's interesting about that on several levels is, obviously it's completely undemocratic, but it's, it's going to bind the majority of people in the United Kingdom to have to watch as their United Kingdom gets split. Now, that's one sidelight. The biggest effect, of course, of hard at Brexit would be uh, the United Kingdom, and at that point England primarily, would be an economic basket case. Um, you won't see merely a 10% decline in economic activity. You're going to see Great Depression levels in the UK. You're going to see an enormous adverse impact in Europe itself on the, on the continent because they're such heavy trading partners and all of that trade is going to get wrapped around the crankshaft in a way that's going to make it extraordinarily painful for everybody. And it's going to affect the U.S., of course, so <clears throat> in a negative way. So the next great recession, possibly the next global depression, could easily be triggered on October 15th. It's a date to remember, which is the date by which, or I think it's mid-October, late October, it's one of those, right, 15th to 30th, somewhere in there is the date when which the Brexit decision, it if they do hard Brexit. all Hallows' Eve. Could be all Hallows' Eve. I'm not Should sure. Should be. <laughs> but, yeah, it's the, the end of, of October. It's sometime in October. Yeah, it's in October. So October of 2019 is when we will know whether Brexit's going to happen. Now, there is a discussion happening today in the UK about an election before October. Boris Johnson has even given some lip service to that. And he, he, he explains his reason for that as saying that if he was to get an election and he were to pick up more Tory votes, that would ratify his decision by the public to do Brexit. Now, the opposite conclusion, however, is that he'll lose. In which case, if he loses his parliamentary control, which he likely would in that election, then what happens to Brexit? Mm -hmm. And does that mean there's going to have to be a second referendum? I would think so, mm -hmm. on Brexit itself. And that could be in a post-Tory world. So what will the UK, well, what, would, what would the continent, what will the EU do if that happens? I believe if, if there were an election in Britain and the Tories lost, I think the continent would uh, unilaterally be willing to extend the date for Brexit by enough time for a second referendum to occur. So then you'd be looking at the decision going to the British voters probably in November, and you'd have a Brexit, hard Brexit or otherwise in, say, November, December, or no Brexit at all. No Brexit would be an absolute panacea for a lot of what's wrong in the world economy right now. It certainly would be a huge step forward. And if we do have a Brexit, it's going to be a massive step back, backwards. So keep your eyes plugged. You know, really keep in focus what's going on in the UK. Watch Boris Johnson's rhetoric, but what I've learned over the years about watching Boris Johnson, remember, this is a guy who got fired as an edit, as a reporter for a paper for making up stories. For the people who don't know Boris's history, I urge you to read it. It isn't just that he's got boyishly cute hair that's always blowing in the wind. I don't know if you describe that as cute. I, I don't think it's cute. The mop top, I don't. But, but my point is, he's more than a haircut. He's a guy who is absolutely craven. He'll say whatever he thinks he needs to get ahead. When he was a reporter, he literally made up quotes to put in the mouths of his interviewees, got fired for it. As foreign secretary, he made a botched shot of almost all the British relations that he had. And he jumped on the Brexit bandwagon because he thought it would get him where he wanted to go. And sure enough, it did. Or as one British commentator said, well, he can't be all bad because after all, he did make it up the, quote, slippery pole, close quote, meaning he got to the top, <laughs> which is exactly what he cared about. He and Trump are very much alike in that regard. Trump has claimed that, uh, that uh, they call him the British Trump. That's not true. Uh, actually, Boris Johnson doesn't even particularly care for Trump. And in Britain, they view Trump as a liability. So uh, Johnson has no intention of somehow riding on Trump's coattails. Now let's go to the fantasy. The fantasy behind Brexit is that if the UK were separate from the European community, it would be free to engage in unilateral trade deals with the West, i.e. the US. And it could do so with impunity because it would be an all-white culture at that point. They perceive, because of Lafarge and others, that the American government prefers to deal with white governments, prefers to deal with white people. So they think they'd have a huge advantage. And because they're not the northern socialist countries, 
they think that the United States would come banging on their door for trade. And why that is so failed or false as a narrative is because companies in America, global companies generally, but companies in America, don't go knocking on foreign doors because they like their politics. They go because they like their markets. Okay, so General Motors doesn't care if you're white or black if you buy a GM car, literally. That you couldn't be more neutral on race than a car salesman, okay? So what, what will bring the unilateral trade deals to the UK is its doorstep relationship with the continent. That's what made it valuable all these years. If it loses that doorstep, meaning if you were no longer able to get to the continent through London, London's value dr plummets dramatically. Evaporates. Virtually evaporates. And when you, when you assume that their economy is going to go into a depression, which it will, then there's very little, very little they've got to offer. Except at that point, they'll have a, a, year, a, a, by the way, a quick footnote. Anybody who wants to make a lot of money in the next couple of months, here you go. I don't recommend this. This is not for everybody. But for those of you out there who think you're really smart and you think you're day traders, go short the pound. Well, it's I, already down. It's, it's going down some more. And you can get out of it by October 1st and you'll be fine because you know it can't possibly recover before this decision's over. So if there's going to be an election October 1st, you know, cover your shorts by October 1st. You'll make so much money between now and October 1st, you'll be happy because you will have made money out of someone else's misery, but yeah. it's not a long-term play. It's currently at its low, lowest rate for the last two years. It's oh, that, if it's not, right it's but way it's, below it's, that. It's, way, it's way below only that. just getting going. It's just getting going. It's only down, what, about 4% in the last, uh, it's down about 4% in the last two, three months, I think, if it's, yeah. if it's that. It's it's valued at $1.23 right now. Yeah, but. so uh, you're talking about something that used to be valued at $1.86 just for perspective, but 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 that's nothing. $1.23, mm -hmm. you're going to see it's going to go to parity or below. Mm -hmm. Think about it. A 23% hit to the British pound is coming? Well, that's worth thinking about if you want to make money in commodities trading. And, and by the way, let's say I'm wrong, and let's say it's only going to be a 15 to 20% hit. Okay, that's a lot of money too. Okay, and when you short, you can pay, you can play with massive amounts of money. So, if you want to play a sophisticated investment game, go short the British pound. You probably could make money shorting the euro, which is also down. But I think the euro will go further down in the event of a Brexit for reasons I just gave. Mm -hmm. Guess what? The U.S. dollar is going to go down, and I would predict that's going to start to happen within two years, maybe sooner. And I'll explain why for the delay. But it's going to go down, and so it raises the question, if the pound is down, if the euro is down, if the dollar is down, what's up? I got a couple answers for that, and we can talk about it later in the show, or I'll do a cliffhanger. If anybody wants to know the answer to that question who's listening, call up and ask us to give her the answer on the next show, and I will. And I'll write the answer down today before I leave the studio okay. so that you've got the answer in your pocket. Should they write? So now we're going to find out. Do people really want to know? Okay. Where do we go from here? Where we go from here is we're watching UK. We're watching Brexit. We're watching the continent. We're watching the global economy, which right now is about, if it's at 1% growth, that's all it's got. I'm, I'm beginning to think it might even be less than 1% right now. That's oh, the European. No, no, the global. The global. The global. Global economy. probably. Well, it might be. It might be. I'll give it up to two percent even because there's some things emerging in Africa, a couple things in India. It could be as high as two percent. But the bottom line is, it's down dramatically from what it's been historically, and it's going down further because of Brexit, the European crisis, and what's happening in European governments generally, and what's happening in the U.S. government. And by the way, when you write and you want to know the reason why each of those currencies will drop, I'll be happy to cover that too. Okay, so here's where we are today. Where we are today is we are looking at China, which always lied about its numbers. So my guess is, though they are claiming they have about a 6% growth, my guess is China's down around 4.5%, which, by the way, isn't bad given that the U.S. is probably down around 28 29 So to be at 5% is pretty good. It's double our growth rate, so don't feel so sorry for them. And if you think you're winning the trade war, Mr. President, Mr. Trump, guess what? They're growing it. Five, five and a half percent, and we're growing at about two, two and a half percent. And all those billions of dollars you are collecting in uh, tariffs are all dollars that the American consumer is putting into your hands to give to farmers in Iowa, and it's depressing the economy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think the next thing we want to say is 
when you see, and well, I guess before I go into where we are, I want to do one, one, one or two backward looks. I want to talk about what happened to real GDP growth last year. On this program in the first quarter, we said, I, I said, I didn't believe the number. I said, this, this number that they're quoting for GDP growth over 3%, I just think that's, it's got to be wrong. It's, it can't be that we're at 3.2% growth. I don't see it. And so if they're reporting that, where that number coming from? And I said, I think the number's wrong. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, last week, the number got corrected down it's two and to 2.5%, yeah, which is what yeah. we predicted. If you go back and play that show in like January, I think it was second week of January, you'll find that that's the number I gave was 2.5%. Mm -hmm. I said, that's what I think the real number is. So why are they reporting over 3%? Our numbers are being fiddled with, folks. And if you notice, you will always see corrections to numbers that are issued, so-called flash numbers, that are corrections in the conservative direction, meaning the government is putting intentionally out numbers that are more optimistic than it knows will withstand permanent scrutiny. So I think that the, uh, uh, the, qu the question is, will the current statement that the first quarter growth rate was 3.1%, will that be revised downward? Well, I they have they have two more revisions, right? I think yeah, and that probably that, downwards. The three point one is not going to hold. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's a lie. Mm -hmm. Okay, and why is it important? That's a lie because if personal savings rate dropped from eight and a half to eight point one percent in the second quarter, so personal savings is dropping, the price of goods is not getting cheaper. We have very low inflation, but we also have we have some uh, price creep that's occurring as a result of people reacting to various shortages in the economy. Let me give you an example. Have any of you gone to a Mexican restaurant in the last two weeks and tried to order avocado or a side of avocado or guacamole? Guess what? There's a $2 surcharge. Why? Trade war. There's no reason to accept a trade war. Okay, That tariff has to be paid for somehow and we get our Mexican, we get our avocados from Mexico. And when the Mexican avocado goes up more in price, Trump collects a tariff, gives it to the farmers in Iowa growing soybeans. That's really smart. I mean, why do avocado growers have to pay soybean growers? And of course, the soybean growers can't grow soybeans anyway because their waters are their fields are underwater. Or in the case of one part in Nebraska, they have no water at all. I mean, it's it just it's 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 this is like the lunatics are running the asylum. So we have an economy that, as strong as it was coming out of the Obama years, continues to get hammered with one bad decision after another. Trade war with China, really bad decision. There was an article in the New York Times this morning about how Mnuchin was. In, in Beijing, even as we speak, trying to negotiate some face-saving way for Trump to be able to claim some kind of victory after this debacle of trade war. And then the projection in the New York Times this morning was they're not going to get there mm -hmm. because the Chinese are not particularly enamored with Trump. They don't particularly want to give him campaign fodder. They don't want to strengthen his ability to control the American markets. I think there's a part of Xi who would like to punish him. I think that they don't, obviously they don't want to collapse our economy, because they could do it if they wanted to. So if the Chinese decided they were really upset with the United States, all they have to do, as I've said before on the show, is stop buying our bonds at the bond market and we'll go down like, like a flat tire because somebody shot a bullet in it. I mean, it's just boom, gone. Because you can't, you can't operate without credit. And the credit right now is dependent on the Chinese buying our bonds. So where does that lead us? It leads us to say, don't believe the numbers you're getting out of Washington until you see the second revision usually, first or second revision. Those are more accurate. There's one number coming out of Washington I want to comment about today, which is really, really... By the way, the reason I say to people, we got that right in January, I mean, obviously, if, you know, everybody likes bragging rights, so you know, it's nice to be able to say that. That's not why I'm bringing it up. But, you know, it's, I really don't think you have to be the smartest person in the world to get these things right. I keep coming back to, if you really look at the fundamentals of this economy, mm -hmm. and you do it with a neutral gaze, if you really are just, what is it saying? Most things you can figure out and common sense will tell you what's going to happen. So I don't have to be a genius. I just got to be paying attention, and I've got to check my, my, my bias at the door. And when I find something that's anomalous, like the GDP that they recorded, they report, you got to say, wait a minute, something's wrong with that number. When you see this, <clears throat> this I don't trust the, um, the, uh, the number on consumer confidence. To say that the consumer confidence number, which not only went up, but went up dramatically, from a negative in June to a dramatic increase in July. So it's the highest level since October of 2018, which was the highest in 18 years before that. 
So you're talking about an astronomically high consumer, and I can't think of any reason you'd have high consumer confidence when we're in the middle of a race war. Now, the race war is verbal right now, but it's real. I don't understand how the consumer confidence can be high when everybody who's Hispanic is saving money for their lawyers or to get out of town or to protect other members of their family who have to get out of town. I mean, we are, we've destabilized the domestic economy with the pursuit of aggressive anti-brown people policies. We are destabilizing the consumption patterns of the black community with anti-black racism that the president is spewing for political reasons. And what I want everybody to know is in the world that Donald Trump lives in, where he's producing a TV show called Mr. President. It's a reality TV show. He stars in it. He produces. He directs it. He can change any outcome by changing the script. That's what you do in television. In the real world, there are consequences. What Trump has not yet understood is what makes good copy in good television. Good ratings. Good rate Does not necessarily no. work in the real world. In fact, doesn't work at all. So in his mind, if he can fire off a tweet that alienates you know, 20% of the population, he's happy as a clam. He got attention. He got ratings. Okay? But in the real world, when you do that, the person you did that to goes, you know what? I better hang on to my cash. This could get crazy soon. And when you are as overtly racist as what he's done to Elijah Cummings in the city of Baltimore, what, you, what he's done with the four uh, congressmen, congresswomen of color, the squad, and, and I, I'm really ticked at the media. How often do you hear these words? He said to the four congresspeople, go back to where you came from, even though three were born in America. You never hear the even though three were born in America. What, what does that mean? He wants to send them back to Flint, Michigan, where they came from? Okay, no, he's only talking about one that came from a foreign country, and she was legally naturalized, as I am. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, so it's not like I have any sympathy with that pitch, because I was legally naturalized. No. So to me, the whole idea of having a race war as a, as a political tactic, if you think it will work for your base, which it probably does, and you even think it's going to get you elected, which I don't think it will, it's still going to hurt the economy, and this show's about the economy. So that's a depressive effect on the economy, just as is the trade war has a depressive effect on the economy. And all the machinations and manipulations he does isn't going to change that. Uh, what he has done to hurt his relationship with Mexico and Canada, got to hurt the economy. Okay? But the ones that you hear about that are, you can see direct impact are what he's doing in the way he is approaching belittling people of color and attacking them. That is a killer for an economy. It is no way to live if you're a democracy, but just on the economics, it's a killer. So I look, and I want people to realize, so why we call that number right, because we saw the fundamentals, and it was clear the fundamentals couldn't produce that kind of revenue. They didn't, and now the government, in the month of July, is admitting they didn't tell the truth in the month of January. Mm -hmm. That's how long they wait. It's kind of like what <clears throat> the Attorney General did with the Mueller report. Spin a story. It isn't true. He knows it's not true. But you control the narrative. At least for that month or two. You, in, 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 and, in the case of then, Mueller, for three or four months. And right. in the case of the economy, six months. Mm -hmm. So you control the spin. In the world of television, that makes for great ratings. And it's a cliffhanger. And you come back for the next episode. In the world of the economy, yeah. it's a chip, chip, chip. And eventually, when you chip like that at the, at, at the ankles of the statue of the economy the statue will topple. Right. And, I mean, when you print a retraction, like in the newspaper, you do it on page three, right? But you still have the front page headline that, that you led with. And that's the impression that people get left with is, is the headline. Yeah. Yeah, I think so that's So printing true. that retraction is a small step towards correcting the record, but it doesn't do much to correct the initial perception and, and the reaction in the public. And, and that's why I give... Trump a lot of credit for understanding how well we've become a media culture. Right. Yeah. He understood that the TV show he could produce would become so popular he could be president yeah. and run the company with it. And 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 I love this analogy. Last Friday, Nancy Pelosi, with whom I'm extremely displeased right now because she continued to block the impeachment, which is to me a moral outrage. By the way, if you haven't seen the Robert Reich YouTube video on this subject, I urge everybody to see it because he calls it for what it is. There, the Constitution requires the House to impeach. The Senate will do what it does. Now, in her self-description, so I've just described Trump as the consummate television producer and star, mm -hmm. which is what he is. He's a con man who's a great promoter on television, and he's writing a thing, a TV series called Mr. President that he's starring in. 
And he's correctly aiming that to get the maximum amount of eyeballs that that racist tome that he's running can collect, which is about 40%. And I predict it'll drop below that. I believe it'll drop to about 35, which I think is his real core, 30, 35%. So what is Nancy? How does she see herself? Trump sees himself as a television producer and star, and he's got the whole nation hanging on every tweet. Right. Like the next episode in this outrageous well, conversation. Collision and disaster keep your eyeballs glued to the Absolutely. screen much more than hey. a love story. Absolutely. And you know, uh, William Randolph Hearst said it best when he said, if it leads, if, if it bleeds, it leads. In right. other words, stories with bloodshed always take the lead in the newspaper. And that's what Trump does with politics. In his mm -hmm. TV show, if you notice, he salts it with not only lies. I mean, now he's lying about the fact, yesterday he lied about the fact that he was down at 9-11. He was down at, at Ground Zero. No one ever saw him at Ground Zero at 9-11. And he's never, no friend of his ever died there. <laughs> he was there. probably at Mar-a-Lago. He was at Mar-a-Lago or something. Maybe nobody saw him there. And, and for him to lie, he just like, he, so silly. Like, you know, we're up to 2,400 or 2,600 lies now that they've no, documented. more than 10,000, I think. Oh, is it? Oh, oh he's, yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's improving. He's, 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 he's moving right along. He's, yeah. he, he's, moving, he's lifting his average. My point is this. So he at least understands we live in a television media culture. People have stopped reading. And so he's playing to people in the 21st century. He's got 2019 figured. What is Nancy Pelosi's self-image as she disclosed it last Friday? Are you ready, folks? She said, I'm a weaver. One strand after another. Ladies and gentlemen, that went out with the Industrial Revolution. I think she's right. She's in the wrong century. She's fighting a television president with a loom. It ain't going to work, Nancy. Get, it's 2019. We're doing, we don't even do black and white anymore. We do color TV now, and we have 100 channels. And if you don't give me a television show I can relate to as the general public, I'm going to go with the guy who gives me the show I can watch. And have you noticed some of the most outrageous, violent Inane shows have the highest ratings. Yeah. And the one called Mr. President, the highest of all. Mm -hmm. So if Nancy is a weaver and he's a television producer and star, who's going to win in the court of public opinion? He is every single time. What does she have to do? She has to control the narrative. He gets impeached. She controls the narrative. He stays not getting impeached. He can act with impunity because he knows there is now no check whatsoever. So there's no check and balances. Um, he's vitiated the Congress. He's even allowed to allocate money they told him not to, which is the power of the purse is the number one, po number two power of the Congress. He doesn't have to worry about impeachment. He doesn't have to worry about the fact that he's destroyed the, the Justice Department, or as uh, I think it was Krugman of the New York Times said yesterday, you know, uh, your his original mentor would be very proud, Roy Cohen, of the job his current attorney is doing for him because he's doing a job just like Roy Cohen, mm -hmm. current attorney, of course, being mm -hmm. William Barr. So. What we have here is a situation where this television show is not a substitute for reality. And that's what he doesn't get. He doesn't understand that he's not collecting billions of taxes from Chinese. He's collecting it from us. That has a depressive effect on the economy. Well, whether he understands it or not, the American public hopefully will wake up and understand it at well, some point. What the, what the American public will increasingly feel pain. Mm -hmm. When the economy takes a serious downturn, he'll be in deep yogurt. But at the, in the meantime, the public is caught up in a television show, in a fantasy. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay. And, and as a result, because he doesn't understand there are real-world consequences to his policies, his policies keep stacking one on top of the other. And every time we try to get up off the mat with the, our economy, he does something to hit us, and back on the mat we go. So, and he's not playing fair, right? He's not doing things that are like reasonable manipulations of the system given your power and authority. What he's doing is flat out illegal on virtually every level, and he's doing it with impunity. And so if Nancy the Weaver thinks that she's going to take him and control him by weaving him, and he, and he's running a television show, he was right when he said, I could shoot somebody on Madison Avenue and my people would not hold me responsible. And he's right. And that is the definition of a cult. So you got a 35% of the population that's a cult in this country, and the other 65%, that's two-thirds of us. We have got to be alert, and we've got to go now to the barricades. So that's why I'm, I'm talking about when you see something that's crazy, like the statistic we got last year for growth, and you, and you see it fixed six months later, and you see other statistics coming out that look equally crazy, look at fundamentals and see if it makes sense. Now, I'm going to give you another one that, I, uh, that we got right. 
uh, for a very long time, we got it right. And um, I want people to, uh, to see this because it's like something that no one else predicted but this show. So we talked about in uh, July of 2018, we talked about the stock market, we talked about the price of oil, and we talked about the price of gold. What's happened since then? We said the stock market is more likely to go sideways or down. It's not going to go up a huge amount. And since that time, it's gone up a total of 7.5% measured by the Dow, 7.4% measured by the S&P. Oil, by the way, has gone down negative 17% in that time period. So for those of you who think that oil is somehow bouncing back, that's a good statistic to remember. And that negative 17% is even allowing for the fact that we're on the verge of war with Iran, which is keeping prices of oil probably up at least another 5 $6 a barrel. What happened to gold? Because we said, get into gold. You, at least it'll go sideways or up, and you'll be able to sleep every night knowing nothing is going to affect your underlying investment. So in that same period where oil went down 17%, the stock market went up about 7.5%. Gold went up 17%, way outperforming the market and way outperforming gold. And I was asked on Saturday by um, a woman who, uh, well, I'll give you her first name. It's Ariel. For those of you who listen to the show regularly, you might even know who her last name is. So she happened to be walking by me in the corridor. And as I was leaving this meeting, and she said, Ronaldo, should I still be, is it too late or should I still be buying gold? And I said, buy gold. Buy gold right now. Get get on it. Go buy gold. And so people who think that gold, having gone up 17%, has exhausted its run, don't realize we got way more to go with gold to run up. Way, way more. So today it's trading at 1425 an ounce. It was trading at 1200 when we first called it out. Uh, I will be shocked if gold isn't at least 1600 or more by December. And I think that's conservative. Wow. Okay. So... Uh, and by the way, I'm not alone now. I mean, finally, some other people are coming to um, to uh, to the party. Uh, so I, I always mention that I mean, the two most sophisticated investors, in my humble opinion, in the world right now, are the Sage of Omaha. That's Berkshire Hathaway, um, Warren Buffett, eh, specifically, but Berkshire Hathaway, the company. And what they do is they invest in stocks in companies, and they've done a brilliant job for a very long period of time. So clearly Warren Buffett's one of the two smartest investors. The other one is a guy named Ray Dalio. So Ray, from very humble middle-class beginnings, um, amassed a personal fortune of $18 million. His company, Bridgewater Capital, um, has developed, delivered earnings 25 out of 28 of the last year. 28, 20, the last 22 years, 25 of them, which is an unheard of record for a, yeah. for a fund like his. Um, it's grown dramatically. He, I would say if he took a poll, amongst CEOs in America, say the Fortune 500, uh, they would probably all agree that Dalio's in the top two or three or four. They might have a favorite, but Dalio's all, no matter who he asks, is going to be in the top two or three or four. So Ray Dalio uh, was just quoted that, um, that the market for gold, it may, we may be at the start, and I'm quoting, we may be just at the start of a period that will be very positive for gold, quote unquote. Why is he saying that? Well, if you tie together what I said about Brexit, if you tie together what I said about the Chinese economies going down but not completely out, if you tie together what I said about what's happening to the European economy, and if you tie together what I said about the U.S. economy, if you tie together what I said about the pound, uh, sterling about the euro and the dollar, you go, oh, I get it. That's why gold will go up. Mm -hmm. And that's why gold will go up. Remember I said a year ago, gold goes up for two reasons. One is fear and one is inflation. What's been running it up lately is fear. Inflation will not run it up because, as most people know, the Fed's about to use uh, its power to lower interest rates. I'm going to guess that's going to happen within a week or so. I mean, it's going to happen in the next meeting. It shouldn't. It's a bad decision. It's a politically motivated decision. It's a way to make Trump happy. But like a lot of things that make Trump happy, he's like a baby with a rattle, you know, rattle, you know, he's shaking it. And if you take it away from him, he gets mad, he cries, you give it back to him, he stops. So the Fed's going to let him have a toy. I think I saw a headline today that partly they're trying to ward against all of Trump's bad decisions in the well, economy. No, they're trying to protect the economy no, against... Yeah, let me, okay, let me, tell you, let me tell you what that means. Okay, so under the topic of financial literacy, you hear the expression liquidity push. So what a liquidity push means is the government will print more money. Mm -hmm. Now, the government can do that as long as the U.S. dollar remains the reserve currency, because if you're the currency against which all the currencies are measured and against which most transactions occur, you can price it at whatever you want and the market will bear. 
Plus, if you think you're going into a period of incredible chaos economically, you look for the strongest economy in the world and you say, let's tie to that one because it'll go down last. Now, that isn't true in our case, but that's what the common wisdom is, which is, like much common wisdom, not wise. So the, the U.S. economy, because it is the enviable position of being the reserve currency currently, and that won't last much longer, it can print money. And by printing money, which in this case means reducing the federal funds rate, so the Fed says, okay, we're going to reduce interest rates. They're already just a hair above inflation to begin with. So they're going to go into, they won't go to negative interest rates, but they're going to, they're going to get close. And certainly if they do one more after this, they'll, get, they'll be at negative, I suspect, meaning that the rate of interest will be less than the rate of inflation. But even if the rate of interest is slightly higher than the rate of inflation, if it's only a tiny bit higher, what does it do? Well, it causes people to borrow money because it's so cheap mm -hmm. and theoretically reinvest it, except that's not happening. No. If it were happening, you wouldn't have to lower it again because the rates that are currently so low make it so cheap to borrow, the business would do it. Well, one of the things in, in the GDP numbers, while more consumer spending, you know, consumer spending was up, investment in businesses was way down, people aren't buying houses, People are not saving money, so that's one of the reasons that this we we're, we're yeah, wondering and, and, about and, this and, number. Well, right? and, and, and those are fundamentals. Those are the fundamentals. Those are the that's, fundamentals. Those are the fundamentals that go into what is that GDP that's right. number. You and know? so, what you want to do is you want to address so the fundamentals. Businesses are not investing. Yeah. So let's take that. Okay. So why are people not able to buy homes? Family formations are down. Why are they down? Student debt. It's mm -hmm. become it's become this massive iceberg, and the ship of the economy has just hit it. And so you've got people who can't afford to form families because they're in so much student debt, they can't buy a house. So family formations go down, new housing construction goes down, resale of existing housing stock actually goes up, rental markets get tighter, that goes up. The dislocation for renters is that they're now paying more as a percentage of their income for rent than they are for, than they should. So food, transportation, everything else takes a back seat. Then when you add to that the fact that the transportation system in this country has been badly, badly, badly ignored. So the amount of things you can do to protect yourself from transportation are limited. So the one of the things that millennials are clearly doing in droves is they're moving back into the inner cities. Mm -hmm. So they can use those little electric scooters to get around and they don't, they don't have to worry to about car. buses. And they don't have to have a car. Right. And they don't have to have insurance. They don't have to have oil. They don't have to have gas. Interesting. They don't have to have oil. They don't have to have gas. Come back to that thought later. Now, when you when you look at it as these fundamentals, you go, so if I wanted to have the economy do better, I would make it easier to buy houses. Oh, why don't we do student debt relief? That would instantly help the housing market. By the way, and housing is not only important because it's housing. Housing is important because of the secondary industries. So when you build a house, you have to buy refrigerators and dry uh, washing machines and right. dryers and lights and switches and doorknobs. Sheets and, and sheets towels. And towels and all of that. All those collateral all those things. things. We're a consumer economy. Well, but you need them for a house. I mean, a house right. without a refrigerator right. isn't very good in America. So if you look at these fundamentals and you go, okay, if I wanted the economy to grow, what, I'd make it easier to buy a house. Great. And you would not eliminate the mortgage deduction. You're talking about the salt. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do salt. I got, I, I can't. Yeah, got okay, salt. for those of you who are listening in the blue states, which is probably most of you, but if <laughs> most of you who are listening in the blue states, do you realize this year, here's a funny inverse number I want you to hear. Last year, big business paid $91 billion less than they did in 2017, even though earnings were dramatically higher in 2018. I mean, dramatically. Why? The tax bill. Trump's tax bill. So the sugar high from the tax bill included this whopping... Reduction. Give back debt. to the corporate. Ninety-one billion dollars yeah. less when they made even more profits. That's insane. Okay, now, in the same period, 2017, U.S. taxpayers, us individuals, we paid ninety-three billion more in taxes on not much more. I mean, on about two and a half percent more revenue we had the year before. But that's it. That was in. That's the 2018 taxes yeah. over 2017. Yeah. yeah. Now, what's so important about that? Yeah, and, and by the way, um, the uh, tax returns have also gone up because of the, the tax bill, but forget that, I mean, tax refunds. Mm -hmm. But why did we pay $93 billion more as American citizens at the same time corporations paid $91 billion less? That's a swing of $185 billion, roughly. Mm -hmm. That's an enormous swing. And why did that happen? Yeah. 
because those of us who live in the blue states no longer have SALT, which is state and local tax deduction. We also had a further reduction in the amount of deductibility of mortgage interest. We had a number of other things taken away in this last tax bill, all to provide enormous benefits, which we did, to, uh, you'll find this shocking, but the number one category that won in the last bill were real estate developers. Gee, I wonder who benefited from that. Don't know how that happened. <laughs> um, anyway, so so you, you get a point. With, so we lose our SALT deduction, where taxes went up literally by $93 billion, and corporate taxes went down by $91 billion. Mm -hmm. And the so corporate taxes weren't that high to begin with. So it shifted the revenue um, onto the backs of the people even more. Yeah. So I love Amazon. I think it's great. I kind of wish they pay some tax. It'd be kind of nice, but they don't. Seems like they're doing well. Seems like they could afford it. But a lot of companies don't pay tax that can afford it. Mm -hmm. And some of the companies that pay tax, the oil companies, pay dramatically less than they should because of the tax breaks that we've always allowed them historically to take. Mm -hmm. And they're even in their industry, they also get further subsidies. Okay, so let's now talk about something more interesting. Let's talk about <laughs> um, what we think could happen in the, in the immediate future. Uh, I, I want to just uh, touch on a couple of things. First of all, as some of you know, back to the politics of this thing, 110 Congress people, Democratic Congress people, now come up for impeachment. Nothing's going to happen in the next six weeks. Congress is gone. On the other hand, if when those Congress people all go home and they hear the drumbeat, which they may, that could change. If the debates, which are happening tonight and tomorrow night, cause the public to tune in, which they didn't really do last time, um, maybe they'll hear plans and programs which excite them. I'm delighted that someone like, uh, I predicted, so oh gosh, about four months ago now, that the, the race would come down to Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden, I felt. And when it does, Warren will win because Warren will beat him in the primaries and Biden won't be able to win primaries the way she can, I think. And the reason is, what people said was her weakness, I believe is her strength. The fact that she's a wonk, that she, a policy wonk, she wants to fix everything. And she made a fundamentally correct decision. She would tell the truth that you can't fine tune the changes now. We're past that point. You have to do something much more dramatic. You have to do structural change. Structural change is like forgiving student debt. Structural change is negotiating a trade deal where labor unions, environmentalists, human rights activists are in the room with large corporations as well as the government. And hopefully the government's representing in small business mm -hmm. and not just representing Monsanto. Right, not just the, the lobbyists that are, yeah. that are that are paid by our tax dollars and the refunds that the corporations are getting. That's right. And, and so, and you know, and nothing personal about it. It's not like I'm mad at anybody. Just the reality is we need to plan our way out of each of these holes that we've dug. And so what's happening is people are hearing when she talks, hey, I think student debt ought to be forgiven. She's right. When she says there ought to be a wealth tax. Now, here's the wealth tax she proposed. She proposed 1% tax on every dollar you make after, that you have after 50 million. So you already got 50 million in the bank, and now you get 50 million in $1. Can you afford a penny? I don't think so. If you get to 60 million, can you afford, say, 100,000? I would say so, because you just picked up 10 million, and you only gave 100,000 back. So, my point in all this is, Plans for how to reconstruct the economy will, I think, do better in the primaries. People shouldn't worry about can she beat Trump or not. I, I would say that almost anybody can. And there was a poll that came out, a Quinnipiac poll came out yesterday that said, and this is a stunning number, 54%, and I don't think I trust this number. Mm -hmm. I think this, Trump, this number is not, it's not as good as I'm about to say, but it's going in the right direction. And the number is, when asked, would you vote for Donald Trump under any circumstance, 54% said no. That's a tough number to beat when you got to have 50% to win, unless the real game is to win by having the Russians cheat, which I think is the real game. What's really going on is Trump's going to carry his 40% over the finish line, and the rest is going to get stolen. So the Russians are going to hack into the voting machines in any state where they're vulnerable, which is a whole bunch right now, probably about 19 states are vulnerable. And when they do that, it's going to create an incredible switch in the actual vote. And that's what they're counting on. 
Because if they can switch the vote in Ohio, they can, which they can't. Can they switch the vote in Michigan? They can. Wisconsin? They can. Uh, maybe yes, maybe not. Pennsylvania's trying to get itself patched, but may or may not make it. Florida, yes. So when you pick that many states, those are all states in the electoral college system, which will turn the election, even if it's phony votes. So I do not expect to have a fair election in 2020, which means that Trump has got to get beat so bad that it's inconceivable. It's inconceivable that um, the Russians could put him over the top. But I think if he's within five percentage points of whoever the Democrat is, he's going to win because right. of the Russians. Well, it also depends on where how it's distributed across the country. No, I'm saying... Because of the Electoral College. No, no because the Electoral College, you know, I, I just named the states that they can nail, all of which have voting system problems. Mm -hmm. and, and and Moscow Mitch went on, te <laughs> uh, went on the Senate floor yesterday to upbraid the commentator on MSNBC who labeled him Moscow Mitch. Do you know who that was that labeled him? I don't. It was Joe, the Republican congressman. Morning Joe. Morning Joe. Joe oh, okay. Mika's husband? Yes. Joe Scarsberg. Yeah, Scarsberg. Yeah. yeah. So Morning Joe, very popular show. I guess I hear Trump watches it even. Very popular show. <laughs> he's the one who called him, he's a Republican. He said it's Moscow Mitch because he's blocking any chance for reform of our voting process. He wants the Russians to control this election. And you know why? Guess what other state has no voting machine protection? Give, give me a wild guess. No, give me a wild guess. Which one? Kentucky. Ah. And guess who's up for re-election in Kentucky? Moscow Mitch. Guess who is the most unpopular uh, person in Congress? But it won't matter if the Russians hack him. And he's counting <laughs> on it. He's counting on the Russians hacking him through. Now, that's the state of our politics. We've gotten to the point where people are going to get elected by ballot box stuffing by a foreign country. Pretty bad, but that's where we are. Now, interesting thing happened yesterday in California, of course. What happened? Gavin Newsom signed a new bill. What did the bill provide? The bill provides that you may not be, your name, your name cannot be entered on the primary ballot in the state of California if, in fact, you don't release your tax returns. So what's going to happen is the tax returns of Donald Trump, because every other candidate for the Democrats has already released them. I'm sure all the Republicans will. The only candidate who will not qualify to be on the ballot for the primary in California is Donald Trump. So what are the Republicans <laughs> going to do in California? They're going to run some stumble bum who, you know, is just like a like a, a stalking horse? So like a Devin Nunes or something? Wait, so I don't so in Cal, on the California primary, Trump won't even be on the He won't be on the primary. <laughs> and by the way, I want to keep going with this. Guess what? <laughs> he might not be on the primary in New York because they're going to pass the same law. And I would guess Massachusetts is the same. I wouldn't be surprised if about 19 states didn't pass that law, which would take him off the primary ballot in those states. Do you know what that does to the final ballot? I'm not exactly sure. If you're not in the primary, you're not on the final ballot. So he'll have to be a write-in candidate. Or, in the case of Russians, an electronic candidate. <laughs> okay. So I think it's hilarious that Mitch McConnell took to the well of the Senate to complain that he was being labeled Moscow Mitch, when in fact that's exactly what he is. He also was railing against the fact that the Washington Post said that he was a, quote, Russian asset. Mm -hmm. And that was a column, that was part of the headline of the column, by Dana Milbank. Now, Dana Milbank is not someone who writes what is, would be characterized as progressive columns. He's considered kind of a middle-of-the-road, I'm not sure if he was a middle-of-the-road Democrat or a middle-of-the-road Republican, but he's clearly middle-of-the-road. And what he was saying, which is true, is that Mitch McConnell is doing Russia's bidding for whatever reason. That's not a, an evaluation of anything moral, it's just observing he's an asset. So they call that a Russian asset. He is a Russian asset. His nickname should be Moscow Mitch. And I don't know what we're going to do to protect this election, but if we don't do something, we're going to have a, a real problem. Now, Gavin Newsom just did something. He threw a monkey wrench in the whole system. And I'm hoping every governor of every state is remotely interested in saving the republic will follow suit with Gavin Newsom. And let's see how many primaries we can take Trump off of, because he's never going to release his tax returns. He ain't going to do it. Why should he? He's got William Barber to protect him. So I think we've covered enough of that. I want to cover one more thing, though, that's really critical. I want to do Ray Dalio. Mm -hmm. 
Speaking of Dalio, I think you you talked about him earlier in the show. I did, I did. Yep. On the goal, he was talking about gold, and I talked about how much respect I have, and everybody does. I mean, when I say I respect Ray Dalio, that's saying like I believe the sun rises in the east and sets <laughs> in the west. I mean, everybody has that respect for Dalio. So he was on sixty Minutes uh, Sunday night. I'm so glad I saw it. I, I, whenever he's on anything, he doesn't come on TV much. I I'm, I do whatever I can to tape it. But in the space of less than thirty days, these three people, Dalio on on 60 Minutes, Mike Bloomberg in a private meeting I was at with him at his headquarters in New York, Paul Tudor Jones numerous times at meetings with me in New York. So Paul Tudor Jones, as some of you know, is a mega, mega billionaire uh, who basically has already endowed, has spent, donated 26, raised $26 million for the Robin Hood Foundation in New York. He raises a, uh, massive amounts of money. And um, and and um, is considered to be a very thoughtful guy. He's chairman of the Just Capital, which is my relationship with him. All three of these guys, who are all really, really rich, really, really successful, made their money honestly. Um, everything, every single one of them has said the same thing. We are now at a place where we either have to reform capitalism or it's over. Mm-hmm. And um, what they're referring to is the inherent unsustainability of this much wealth being concentrated at the top one, two percent, and how everybody else is sliding further and further south. Yeah. And and how we're destroying even the initiative of our younger generation because they see this hopeless task yeah. in front of them. I think Dalio characterized it as a national emergency. He did. It should be declared a national emergency. Yeah. yeah. Wealth inequality is a national emergency, mm-hmm. he said, and I think he's right. So here's... <clears throat> When pressed, Mike Bloomberg gave an impassioned plea personally to this group of us that was meeting with him to recognize that we had to reform capitalism or it would be over. Paul Tudor Jones says the same thing. Just Capital says the same thing. All of us on the board would agree with that at Just Capital. But Dalio did it even more starkly. And Dalio is a very calm, non-hyperbolic person. Mike, yeah, Bloomberg is a salesman. Great salesman, but he's a salesman. Well, you know, smart, but, you know, Mike's selling all the time. And so you can say, well, is, is he saying that for a fact? Is that hyperbole or does he really believe it? And I can tell you for a fact, it was a closed door meeting. It was by invitation only. He meant it and he wanted us to hear it. And there was about $50 trillion in that room. That's a lot of money. $50 trillion is a huge amount of money to be in one room at one time. And uh, he wanted, and that's assets under management. Um, what he wanted was to communicate the urgency of this claim mm-hmm. that capitalism was in terrible need of immediate reform. And he suggested that the system would break down if we didn't reform it. Paul Tudor Jones has said the same thing. Dalio said it more starkly. Basically said the pitchforks are coming. Meaning, if we don't change this, if we don't reform capitalism, what's going to happen is we're going to find ourselves in violence. So when he was being interviewed by Bill Whitaker, um, he asked him, which I'm glad he did as a follow-up question, well, you think it could end in violence, in effect. What do you think, though, the odds are? He said, what do you think, do you think that's what will happen? Mm -hmm. And Dalio's answer was, I've spent my whole life in probabilities. So can I tell you it's going to happen or it's not going to happen? No, in a sense, but I can tell you what the probability is. Right now, he started to say 60-40, and he changed it. He Mm -hmm. said 65-35. So there's a 65% chance that one of the smartest investors in the world thinks we're going to go to violence in America. Mm-hmm. That's a bad number, 65%. And when you see race war being fed, which I want to tie it back to my original comments today, that makes the number go higher. When you see a white supremacist take out an AK-47, an AR-47 rifle, and shoot 15 people in less than one minute, in Gilroy, California. And he worked really hard to get into that stadium or into that yeah. into the yard. I mean, yeah. whatever protections that were there, he circumvented them. He climbed a fence and no, he cut swam a river. And... No, he just, no, he didn't need this river. He just cut through one fence. Okay. But he walked along a river and cut through one fence. Okay. But here's my point. Have any of you heard any of the news commentators say, wow, the police killed him within one minute after he started shooting? So you mean if he didn't have an AR-47, at most he could have shot would have been one or two people instead of 15? Now, why do we allow AR-47s? Now, here's a fun thing to think about. 
It's the AR-15. 15, I'm sorry. I was thinking AK-47. Yep. Thanks. Our producer, Benjamin, just corrected me. It's AR-15. Thank you, Benjamin. We love to do this thing accurately, so when I get it wrong, Benjamin goes, whoa, got that one wrong, boss. Okay, thank you very much, Jim Benjamin. Um, okay, AR-15. Why are we allowed to have a military assault weapon? Just this week, two days ago, a man entered the United States, this is true, with a shoulder-fired missile launcher, put in his luggage, got arrested, said he was bringing it back from Kuwait, and that shoulder-fired missile launcher is being destroyed because you're not allowed to have shoulder-fired missiles. By the way, you're not allowed to have a tank, and you're not even allowed to have a Gatling gun, which shoots bullets at a fraction of the speed of an AR-15 and jams all the time. But you can't have it because when we pass those rules, you're not allowed to have a mortar. Okay. You're not allowed to have a howitzer. You can't have 19th century weapons. But yeah, but you can have a 20th century weapon that kills with greater... 21st century weapons. Well, it's a 20th century weapon, yeah. actually. But, but you know what I'm saying? So the, the problem here is, clearly AR-15s have no place in domestic America. It's a military assault weapon. And what we need to do is say, when are we going to get it clear that we're tired of having people on our streets gunned down by military assault weapons? If we got it clear we don't want them getting driven, ridden over by tanks, why aren't we clear on that? Why aren't we clear that some weapons are inherently military weapons and others are not? I'm not allowed to buy an F-15. I can't go strafe my neighbors. There's a whole slew of weapons I'm not allowed legally to buy. Why am I legally allowed to buy a, a machine that can kill three people and wound 12 in the space of less than one minute? That's the story. You know, congratulations for the police getting there so quickly. but. Folks, please pay attention. In one minute, if you can do that much damage, that weapon doesn't belong in the streets. And it has to be eliminated. It has to be illegal. And by the way, that weapon was legally purchased through the mail and picked up in person by a white supremacist who wrote on his account that basically he was very concerned about mixed blood marriages. Okay? So I'm going to leave it with that uh, because I want people to think about many things affect our economy, positively and negatively. The way we have an outpouring of emotion, compassion, and love for each other when something like that happens as a tragedy is one of the things that actually helps the economy in many ways. But the fact that we permit this level of domestic violence over and over and over and over again is absolutely doing terrible damage to the economy because it's psychologically devastating to our children. Why is it my, my seven-year-old grandson has to do duck and cover drills? Seven years old. Why is that? To protect against school shootings. Of course. And why does that have to happen? Because we have no regulations that are appropriate for guns and gun safety. So I just like to leave it with people this way. If you think you can be a white supremacist and you think you can kill people with an AR-15 at will to get your name in the news or otherwise, you may be delusional. That's the best thing I can say for you. But everybody else around you ought to know that not only are you killing people that are innocent, don't have any reason to die, shouldn't be dying, you're really hurting the economy as well. You're hurting our ability to create, co-create wealth with each other. So I urge you in the strongest possible way, please think about what you can do to bring sanity to the rules and regulations that govern our country and to bring sanity to our political process and hopefully bring sanity to what we choose to make in this country and how we choose to make it. All of that within the context of climate change, which is a pressure cooker that we now live in. And if you think it's not a heck of a pressure cooker, the folks in Nebraska who had too much rain and too much water six weeks ago, huge chunks of it now have no water at all because of 100-year-old pipe that brings their water yeah. in. One, one, one comment on climate change. I've heard some linguists talking about we really ought to be talking about it as climate collapse because it's really not, it's more yeah. than just changing. Yeah. It's, it's actually climate collapse. Climate that's, collapse. A, that's a good, I never heard that, but that's a good one. Um, and, and, and you, we can think about a collapsed lung, you know, the, I mean, the metaphors that come from collapse yeah. are much more yeah. visually powerful in a way. I think you're absolutely right. And you know, for people, I, I want to put out two commercial plugs. One, uh, anybody interested in climate change, it's going to scare you. There is a solution, by the way. But uh, write us, info at worldbusiness.org, and we'll send you a copy of our white paper on 
a methane acceleration and it's sort of like the definitive last word on climate change. They can find it on the website also. And you, you yes, download no, you can, it. You can, you can download, you can download it on the website. website. Uh, I also want to urge people um, to, uh, to consider uh, if, they, if, if they want to think through these questions, uh, I think the best thing they can do is to subscribe to Optimus Daily because you need that hit. It comes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday now, right? For you, the summer, yeah. Yeah, for the summer. You need that hit of positive juice mm -hmm. just to even out your keel because the amount of negative information that's hitting us and hitting us faster and faster every day and it's more and more negative and it's larger negative. Mm -hmm. We need to have an antidote and that antidote is Optimus Daily. I, I tell you, I think I'd lose my sanity if I couldn't pick it up in the morning and like, oh, that's a good thing. Thank goodness yeah. that's working. Oh, that's good. So that's it resets good. your mental focus. It, it gives you hope. It gives you hope. Hope is not a strategy, but hope is a condition of the mind right. that permits strategies to form. And I really think people should listen to the podcast version of Solutions News, which they is should. now available on Apple and Stitcher and any podcast And app. I think everybody on this radio program knows that we only do uh, questions on that program where we have a solution. Right. So and we're talking positive. about real real issues, but we go into them from a, with a solutions-oriented mindset, and we, we do talk about solutions to do with many different things. We do. We do. And for that, I want to be thankful for everybody who's listening today. If you can think of any way you can help us with our mission here at the Academy, please do. Get yourself a free subscription to Optimus Daily and ask for that copy on the methane paper or methane accelerator is the name of it if you want to go get it yourself. And um, please keep us posted on whether or not you'd like the show to be more frequent because things are happening so fast. I only got through about four of my eight pages. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.